You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Uncivil Outlaw. Chapter 12. Over the Line. The next morning, Abigail and I awoke, feeling well-rested, for the first time since before we closed the northern door. Merlane was frying bacon for breakfast, along with a large quantity of mushrooms, which she assured us were portobello and would not cause the eater to engage in a communion with the forces of the universe and then puke until their shoes came out. As Abigail packed provisions for our journey west into the nag's saddlebags, I approached Merlane, who was leafing through a series of very old maps to find our safest places to stop and rest within Kelador's western continent. I wonder, since you clearly know a thing or two about the orbs we have encountered, would you perhaps be able to tell us how many more are out there? At least in our world. It seems like tracking them down might be advantageous, especially to a civilization in jeopardy. Those magics are a dangerous business, lad. She replied without looking up from the maps. Ended more civilizations than they saved. I knew it, I said, half to myself. But that was mainly because the wrong people got a hold of them. She continued, looking up now and engaging me with a quizzical blue stare. Would you perhaps be able to extract this from my head? I asked, tapping my eye patch, preferably without killing me. What would you want to go and do a thing like that for? Many reasons. Perhaps I don't want this responsibility, or think it's best being conveyed to someone else. She rose from her desk, crossed over, and stood before me. I think it's in exactly the right hands, she said, kindness in her voice, and perhaps a hint of sorrow. She clasped my shoulder and handed me a folded map. This should get you where you need to go. Will we ever see you again? Sometimes you will. And sometimes you won't. And what does that mean? Be off with you. I need my beauty sleep. It's holiday time again, and that sangria is not going to drink itself. As I emerged into the yard, Abigail had mounted the nag and was patting the back of the saddle behind her. I hitched up and got as comfortable as I could. You okay there, Doc? You have a cascade of hair right in my face. She hooked her hand under and swept it to the side. I was suddenly very aware of her bare neck and tried my level best to accommodate myself in a way that was both secure and appropriate. Are you both finished playing horsey? The nag snorted. Because you might like to attach yourselves to me using those additional restraints. We both checked the saddle and found multiple leather belts and fastenings to secure ourselves. I don't usually get ridden at all, but if you two are happy with this strap-on situation, I'm sure we'll all get along famously. We're experienced riders, I assured him. Binding myself nonetheless. We're not going to fall off. Be sure that you don't. He sneered, then sneezed violently. <laughs> as two enormous black wings burst forth from his sides, accompanied by a glinting golden horn, which erupted from his forehead. Oh my giddy aunt. You're absolutely shitting me. You didn't think I was going to trudge all the way there, did you? The nag whinnied, and as Merlane leaned in the doorframe of the cottage, they regarded one another wordlessly before he shot skywards. Oh my God! Abigail bellowed over the din of rushing air currents as we clung on for dear life. 
our ears popped as the pressure changed and the temperature dropped. Then the nag arced down into a graceful dive and began a long, gliding course westward over the forest. The feeling of exhilaration twinned with terror was intoxicating. We clung to our steed and to one another as the trees hurried past below us. This is so much better of a way to travel than Steamheart. Yes, if you need to cross a landscape at speed, I might well be the very best option. So I suppose I'm Falcor now. You may commence screaming, yeah. We have no idea what you're talking about. Abigail screamed as the nag obligingly beat his wings and sped up. We rocketed above the land, passing over rivers and clearings, ruins and wildlife all going just fast enough for us to start to drink it in before the cup was snatched away. I calculated by the map that we crossed a thousand miles or so over the next few days. We rested in the evenings, and those of us that had only two legs found readjusting to the land a giddy, unbalanced experience. That first night we found an abandoned village, marked as a safe place to sleep, though the map logged it as entirely inhabited. This was part of the course for Abigail and I, as we had stopped at many a ghost town on our journey to the southern door. I examined the burned-out, collapsed homes. Whoever had lived in them before was clearly a little shorter than us. The charcoal bed frames suggested an average of five feet. It did not feel safe within those crumbling walls, and felt as though the very green-flecked stones themselves had absorbed tragedy and trauma. Abigail did not sleep well that night, and woke me repeatedly to ask if I could hear someone crying. I urged her to huddle closer to me, and she leaned against my side as the pair of us set our backs to the nag. Eventually her head drifted to my shoulder, and I lay there the rest of the night, feeling the warmth that radiated from her. On the fourth day at noon, we reached the wind door. Abigail steered the nag through the air to land down within the ruins of what might have been a gatehouse at some distant point in the past. The broken fingers of what had once been towers stretching up were now only stumps. But in the crumbling archway, visibly disrupting the stonework around it, stood a portal. Abigail flipped her patch and stared. Just as I said, it's a deep indigo color. I'm a-thinking and a-praying this leads to our century Earth. I stretched out my hands, memorizing the feel, the resonance, the vibration of this doorway, committing it to memory. Sure enough, it felt exactly like the one from the testing chamber, which we had stepped back through to return to our world. Do you know if it definitely is or not? I asked the horse. He sniffed. <laughs> Smells like you. All right. Here's our contingency plan. Do not close this door. If things go awry and we find where somewhere we shouldn't be, we double back and find Merlane. Then maybe consider returning to our world the long way. Now we have she and the nag here as guides. Eminently sensible, as always. And I like the idea of leaving this door open for safety. Some rules need an exception. Let's just hope we're not in for a nasty surprise. Oh, come on. This is us. Nasty surprises are a weekly thing. All the same. 
I think we've had our quota for the time being. I replied, and the three of us stepped through the portal, only to be hit with a wave of freezing cold evening wind. <clears throat> Shit, I forgot, it's nearly December. Abigail cried, wrestling our coats from the nags' bags. Soon enough, we were coated up and heading through the night towards a local settlement on the horizon where lit torches burned. The nag had hidden his wings and horn away, but left the shock of white in his mane. I was poring over the map of Greater America that I kept folded in my bag. I had glanced at it as we navigated Kelador, cross-referencing with Merlane's, but it was difficult to tell exactly where we were. Oh, holy cow! If I take off my patch, I can see a few more portals in the distance, but they're way off. Like little pinpricks. I'm thinking the same distance as Washington was from the one we just came through, and... She gripped my arm. They're over to the far northwest and the southwest. I was hoping it'd be a breadcrumb trail, and... Well, it's just not. So which one do we follow? What colors are they? Southwest is green said Abigail, pointing back to Kelador. Like that one. But the one to the northwest is purple. That's Rama. We were briefly excited until we noticed we were not alone on the road. We looked up at the people who had emerged from the gates of the settlement to greet us. They were on horseback and had six arrows knocked and pointed at our hearts. Stern faces, tassels, beads, stripes, feathers, intricate woven patterns. We were looking at a contingent of Lakota natives. Abigail stepped forward, hands up and open. We're from the eastern states. Please don't shoot us. A short, keen-eyed young woman, wearing a teal wool coat with a jagged yellow and orange pattern, leaned forward in her saddle and said in accented English, You two look extremely lost. She gestured to the others to lower their aim as I stepped up beside Abigail. With whom are we speaking? My name is Zonta. You can talk to me. Her voice was rich and canny, but with an undercurrent of warning to it. What are you doing? We can't just invite ourselves in with nothing to give back. It's discourteous. We should pay them. I turned back to the woman on the horse and continued. Zonta, hello. We do not wish to make any trouble. We can offer you trade in exchange for a night's shelter, some food, and if it's not too much bother, a little bit of information. That's right. We've got some gold if you use that. Abigail piped up. Zonta gave a wry smile and said something to the man out in front, who was looking at us with stony disapproval. They exchanged some words, his more terse than hers. Okay, here's how it's going to go. She said at last. We are going to generously offer you what you need in just a moment, provided you behave yourself as you say, and provided we get approval from our leaders. And if you would then like to give us a gift, that would be an acceptable agreement. She spoke further with the gruff fellow, then looked back at us. And apparently you're under my care. So... Do you have anything a little more exciting than gold? Um... Said Abigail, delving into her bag. Your horse has a special glint in his eye. He's definitely not for sale. Relax. I would not dream of parting you from your animal out here. But he is curious nonetheless. I got a couple of books on these two ladies. Abigail held up two novelettes in the light of the moon. 
They're about Harry Arlington and Annie Oakley. This one's real smart. And this one was, uh, this one is, a real good shot. And a real good leader, too. Zonta's eyes lit up and she held out her hand. Abigail passed them over, letting her grip linger just a shade too long. The lady retrieved a pair of spectacles that had been hanging around her neck from a thin leather cord strung with tiny stones, slid them on and examined her new books with bright eyes. I had to hold back a flash of joy that we had come across another avid reader. Welcome in, then, she said, gesturing to the expanse of animal hide tents in the distance behind her. Later, we sat around a bonfire, warming ourselves, the nag nearby grudgingly eating what they gave horses around here. Our host had learned English several years ago from a teacher who had been offering gifts of language. This had appealed to Zonta's curiosity about life back east, and accordingly we filled her in on some choice details as we warmed ourselves. She had a melodious laugh, which she employed quite frequently by way of a rather dark sense of humour. So... What would you like to know? She asked as we nestled under fur blankets eating a flavorful bison stew with prairie turnips and wild potatoes from wooden bowls. First question would be, where are we? You're in Dakota at Bull Ridge, within what your government called the Great Sioux Nation territories. How close are we to the Pan State line? Uh, about a hundred miles that way. Zonta pointed east as I checked my compass. Why? Are you headed there? We're headed away. As you said, we got very lost. Is it dangerous to cross? It used to be. About seven years ago, for a short while, there were snipers up in towers that would take a pot shot at anyone who came near from either side. We dealt with them, though. Burned a lot of the towers. They were so spread out. I don't think your people really had an effective plan to maintain them. Holy shit. Another fucking show of force. Another fandom to be afraid of and keep people in line. You actually thought there was a full border guard all the way down the country? Zonta exclaimed, that laugh of hers ringing out. (laughs) That's 1,500 miles north to south. It does sound like an astonishing waste of time, resources, and manpower when you put it like that. Well, I'm sort of glad it was a lie, then. Government would have to be fucking crazy to attempt that for real. So at least we know they knew it, too. You said these were Lakota lands. Does that mean the Sioux control Dakota? You two look like you're not going to get upset over this like some do, but, sir, the western states are ours. She let that sink in a moment before clarifying. I say ours. They belong to nobody. The nations here simply protect our territories, but they definitely do not belong to you. Oh! Abigail gasped. There was a lot more mixed in with that than mere surprise, but I decided to push for more detail. Do you cooperate with one another, or is there still a great deal of tribal warfare? (sighs) There's always a lot of fighting. Tribe is a white man's word, but some nations, like the Numino or the Absoluk, are looking to expand the lands they control, especially after they were displaced themselves, and disputes are inevitable. The difference in our conflicts lies in what we believe or don't believe we are entitled to, and how we resolve that. She said this with calm certainty, 
and I could see Abigail growing pale with worry. I knew what she was dying to ask about. You must understand. Until not long ago, all of our people were fighting yours, and we were losing. Or we tried to cooperate, and lost even more. You tricked, and you stole, and you lied, and you massacred. You made deals, and you broke your word. We tried to live alongside you, and we tried to repel you, but your hunger was too great. We saw our way of life stripped from the earth as you forced us to be like you, or else just killed us. A strange, grim smile came to her face. But then the Wendigo came, or the Nahual, or Goblin, or Bargast, or whatever you would call it. What do your people call them? There are many languages out here. And again, you must remember that we don't all agree. So, I've heard Sumanitu, I've heard Wampus Cat. And a lot of nations make up their own new names rather than repurpose old stories, especially as those stories might come from other places and people than their own. A Wendigo is a Wendigo, not one of these creatures. I think calling it that was more about making it a monster that all the humans could unify against to hunt down and eliminate. Like Indian. She smiled tightly. I'm familiar with the concept, Dr. Penrose. And now that you ask, there is one name that seems particularly appropriate for these creatures. A French term adopted by the Cree for a man with a wolf's head. The Rougarou. And the Rougarou are even more hungry than you. And finally, your shadow caught up and taught you a harsh, harsh lesson. She sat back and glanced at the books in her lap. And clearly you have learned a little and survived. I truly hope enough of you have achieved wisdom and introspection sufficient not to repeat your old ways. And how did the Lakota deal with the Rougarou? There must have been plenty to kill off. Ah, but in stories, the four-legged, what you might call animal spirits, act as patrons to our people. They help us hunt and better understand the world. What they sent you was a plague. But for many of us, what they sent was an end to the plague which you brought. So there went a Rougarou out there? And you're happy? What do you do when wolves or mountain lions attack your village? Just invite them in? It isn't a cause for happiness when a mountain lion does what it does. But they are following their original instructions. And a wolf would only harm us if it was ill. How do you figure on the people who get infected with this disease? We have watched them closely over the years in their new habitat. I leaned in at this, listening intently. What we have seen are men and women shedding one form and adopting another. They are infectious, yes, but there is a spirit in there if you look. A connection with nature, not as unbalanced as one that is sick. I know exactly what you mean. Like the mountain lion, we keep those predators away from our camps. We ward them off our children, and we are careful to ensure that they do not take too many bison or deer. When one of us is infected, we prepare that person for a quick honorable death, so it does not spread to the rest of us. Her expression darkened, and her tone lowered. You understand, of course, how dangerous new diseases can be out here. So for that reason, some nations like the Diné or the Chetik Sitatik have chosen to hunt the Rougarou relentlessly. 
But out of respect, we wait for them to come to us. This is a lot to take in. We see things differently. And we are alive still. What about white settlements? Abigail changed course again, back in the direction she needed. They're around. Towns can get by, even cities. Provided they behave themselves and don't try to take too much from the land. We can trade and work with them. There's even a railroad now, threading through their habitats, that many peoples negotiated an acceptable route for. Out of the way of sacred lands or homesteads. So some survived. You're acting like we lined up at your fake border and slaughtered anyone who came into these states. Mostly we just stood our ground and when your weakened, aggressive, greedy men demanded to buy the land, we refused. When they attempted to take it by force, we refused most strongly. She looked across the fire at a collection of elders, speaking animatedly and ignoring us. The man on the right is sitting bull. And the one he is talking with is Red Cloud. I'll introduce you later if they have time. These are the kind of leaders that helped us to live through a period of intense hardship, much like your people are trying to. I'll show them these books. They will be interested in how Washington, your great father, is positioning its accomplished leaders. Better that we understand what might someday be thriving out there to the east, hungry again. Did you ever hear tell of an old man coming through here, accompanied by a woman with strange eyes that looked like the starlight? Abigail asked, a plaintive desperation in her voice. Zonta shrugged, but she had noted our opposing eye patches almost immediately, and now tilted her head with a burning curiosity. Clear water, then, cried Abigail, finally unable to stand the tension. What about a settlement coming through from a place back east called Clearwater? Them I remember, exclaimed Zonta, excited to be able to find us a new direction. Oh, but that was a long time ago when I lived a little further north. Those who survived that journey wound up settling in Deadwood. been listening to episode 12 of Uncivil Outlaw, Over the Line, written, edited, and directed by Alexander Shaw. Zonta, performed by Theo Lee. Merlain, performed by Maya Santandrea. Captain Abigail Gray, performed by Sharon Shaw. Dr. James Penrose, performed by Alex Shaw. And The Nag, performed by Spencer Lieb. Evening Melodrama, Night of the Owl, Fire Song, and Smoking Gun composed and performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com Arrival by I. Sazanov of Shockwave Sound Make Your Decision by Dan Philipson of Shockwave Sound Uncivil Outlaw Theme, True Greatness performed by Bjorn Lynn of Shockwave Sound Many Soundscapes by Tabletop Audio I have donated to two charity funds connected with Black Lives Matter. There is Black Minds Matter, based in the UK, which is an organisation that connects black clients with black therapists, including providing financial support. These are two groups who respectively have a much tougher time being able to find mental health support and being able to attain the qualifications to practice due to the currently unfair system. 
And there is the Autistic Women and Non-Binary Network's Autistic People of Colour Fund. This US-based charity provides direct support, mutual aid and reparations. I have specifically focused on some of the most vulnerable and often most ignored members of society here. Sharon has also donated to the Black Journalists Therapy Relief Fund, which is financing mental health support for black journalists covering the BLM demonstrations. Throughout at least July and August 2020 and what remains of June, every single penny I make from sales of the New Century Multiverse audiobooks on Bandcamp will be donated by me to those above-mentioned charities. So if you've been holding back on buying these, any that you pick up this summer will have the proceeds going to some very good causes. And all the links to these can be found pinned to the top of both of my Twitter accounts. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon. Our top-tier $15 sponsors get a shout-out every episode. So many thanks, too. Joel Robinson, Finbar Nicole, Abel Savard, Michael Hasco, Trey Contreras, Matthew Webb, Angus Lee, Kevin Bay, Daniel Salguero, Connor Kennedy, Johan Clayson, Joe Gesiga, Tim Rosensky, Christopher Wolf, Matthew A. Siebert, Kat Esman, Evan Jankowski, Sarah Montgomery, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Tom Painter, Dan Hepner, Marty Huey, Mark Luksh, Brian Novak, Frankie Punzi, Aaron Lecluse, Lorraine Chisholm, Timothy Green, Cassandra Newman, Duran Barnett, Benjamin, Joseph Gluck, Greg Downing, Kieran Dashler, Dan Mayer, Jameis Enright, Nick Ord, David Sheely, Chris Finnick, and Joe Crow.